Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Unlike Thanksgiving, football games on Christmas Day were few and far between in the early days of the Cardinals. So before we celebrate the big holiday this year, no, that's not the Super Bowl, we'll slip back in time to discover when the cards were actually busy on December 25th. When the NFL originated as the American Professional Football Association back in 1920, the season was shorter and fewer games were played, thus leaving the football season completed well before the Christmas holidays. For example, in 1920, the last game of the season took place on December 19th, when the Cardinals tied the Chicago Stames 14-14, despite the Stames adding George Hallis and other refugees from Decatur Staley's for that contest. In 1926, the Kansas City Cowboys edged the Cards 7-2 in the final game on November 28th. Without playoffs nor a championship game, the NFL seasons usually ended during the first week of December. Of course, we now see regular season games played on Christmas, and the season stretches into the first week of February before the final champion is determined. As we search for examples of the Cardinals games on Christmas, it quickly became apparent that there were very, very few for the NFL's oldest team, even with a history that reaches back to 1899. But the examples we found were not only interesting, but quite entertaining, with one example resulting in one of the wackiest football injuries ever encountered, and another providing the greatest gift that a Cardinals fan could ever imagine. Our first stop will be on December 25, 1930 in the rugged Texas town of Fort Worth. The Cardinals had just completed a long, long season with an overall 9-7-2 record and a 5-6-2 mark in league play. But the boys just couldn't get enough football, so coach Ernie Never scheduled one more game on Christmas Day against a group of recent collegians called the Southwest Conference All-Stars. With players from schools like Texas, Texas A&M, Texas Christian, and Southern Methodist. The Fort Worth Record-Telegram newspaper marveled over the appearance by Nevers and the Cardinals and reminded its readers of Nevers' All-American status at Stanford and the fact that Newt Rockne of Notre Dame had called Nevers the greatest fullback in all gridiron history. Daily reports detailed the arrivals in Fort Worth of the Cardinal players with even more emphasis on Nevers. Originally scheduled to arrive by train from St. Louis, the local media breathlessly reported that Nevers had purchased a car in St. Louis and he was driving down to Fort Worth after first stopping in Tulsa. What a newsflash. Meanwhile, practice continued throughout the week for the All-Stars. Since some of the All-Stars had been out of football for up to three years, the Cardinals allowed their opponents to add a pair of NFL players and Mule Wilson and Father Lumpkin to their roster, a pair of great nicknames. On the day before the game, the record telegram was invited to witness the Cardinals' practice, who never certainly impressed the locals, 
The newspaper reported, Nevers gave the crowd of fans an idea of his talent in the Cardinals' final workout when he punted against a stiff wind for better than 60 yards consistently, occasionally dropping one more than 70 yards from the spot from which he was kicking. All of this coverage, of course, was intended to promote the game and attract the biggest crowd possible. In the end, that did not work out so well. Despite the publicity and the openness of Nevers and the Cardinals, the victors easily swept aside the All-Stars 20-0 to finally cap their season. Only 1,200 showed up for the game, even with the multitude of former local stars on the field. In fact, the Cardinals squad included two former Texas Christian standouts and Phil Handler and Jake Williams. Nevers praised the two teammates after the game by stating, Williams and Handler are outstanding in the league already and will be better next season. I do not say this because I'm in their home city, but because I know what they did for my club this year. Handler would eventually become the head coach of the Cardinals in later years. The next Christmas time competition did not occur until four years later when the team was in the middle of an extensive seven-game West Coast tour after the 1934 season. That's when the Cardinals finished with a robust 16-6 mark, including a 5-6 record in the NFL. The team stopped in San Francisco on December 23rd for a battle with the California Giants, but a strange thing happened right before the kickoff when the Giants suddenly decided not to play. In short, the Giants noticed that the estimated crowd of 7,000 in old Kizar Stadium was far less than expected and demanded payment in advance from the promoters. In a scene reminiscent of a Three Stooges movie, the Giants did receive their salary, but with a catch, as described by the Oakland Tribune. Butch Mendenich, Stormy Petrol, which means coach, of the pro football circles, staggered into the office under the weight of the money he received from playing against the Chicago Cardinals. Not that Butch received so much money, but he and his players were paid $27 each, mostly in dimes and nickels. The promoters had run out of paper money by the time the Giants were paid. As for the Cardinals, the 24 members of the traveling party split $450. It was all a day's work for the Cardinals, who shoved aside the Giants 21-0 behind Mike McCulloch's two rushing touchdowns. As the NFL continued to grow in the late 1930s, one of the league's holiday traditions was the release of its attendance figures right around Christmas. Like opening a present under the tree for all to see, the NFL opened its books to either brag or explain about the season's fan interest. In those days, attendance was usually stronger than the previous year, and if not, there was a generous reason why not. Usually the weather took the blame for any unsightly small crowds. The 1935 season was no exception, as the league boasted of an overall increase of 50,000 fans it also quietly mentioned that three of its nine teams lost money, one of which was the Chicago Cardinals. While the combined attendance was announced for the league at 586,000, the Cardinals' portion of that mark was just a week 29,500 for five home dates. That number was eclipsed in just one game between the Bears and the Giants in New York when 36,940 showed up. The Decatur Herald newspaper in Illinois wrote, It doesn't take but a couple of bad days to play havoc with the old receipts. Games are likely to be played in any kind of weather. 
It isn't always possible to count on a big turnout no matter what the attraction may be. The Cincinnati Enquirer added, The Cardinals easily would have made a profit had they not run into three rainstorms and a small blizzard in their home games. Now, despite the earnest defense, news like this was never a pleasant Christmas present for Cardinals management. Now, here is that oddest story of the week, as we told you about. In fact, it was so odd that it made the list of oddest sports lists of 1943, which was announced on Christmas Day of that year. Now, that's odd. I think we used the word odd long enough. Back in October of that season, big end for the Cardinals, Clint Wager, who stood six foot six, was sent out to practice his punting and quickly suffered a most unusual injury, especially since it was self-inflicted. While working on his punts, Wager simply missed one, according to the press, which said, Clint Wager, Chicago Cardinal N, literally knocked himself out with a poorly aimed punt. After drawing back his leg for what he hoped would be a long, booming punt, Wager missed the ball and struck his head with his knee. Ouch. Doctors say he suffered a minor concussion of the brain. But don't worry, Wager was back on the field quickly and even played pro basketball at the Oshkosh All-Stars that winter. However, the little episode with his kicking knee found Wager as one of the 70 nominees for the Sports Oddity of the Year contest run by the Associated Press. 75 writers nationwide voted in the poll and Wager actually finished in third place. In Clint's case, this was clearly an unwanted Christmas present. Our final Yuletide entry is a happy one, and not just because the Cardinals were forced to practice on Christmas Day in 1947. This team was more than grateful to do so since the Cards were preparing to face off with the Philadelphia Eagles for the NFL Championship on December 28, 1947. This would be a home game for the Cardinals at Comiskey Park, and Coach Jimmy Councilman was confident but nervous as he plotted out his plans in the Chicago Tribune on Christmas morning. Councilman said, A game with the Philadelphia Eagles boils down to the proposition of shooting the works. We're certainly going to try, and I'm sure that's what the Eagles also have in mind, said Councilman, who added, The Eagles have a good offensive and defensive forward wall. That eight-man line which Philadelphia employs may give us plenty of trouble. On the issue of shooting the works, we can't hold back on anything this time. I know Coach Creasy Neal of the Eagles will come with some stuff that hasn't been displayed this season. So on Christmas morning, instead of enjoying the holiday with their families, the Cardinals went to work, according to the Tribune, which reported, Today may be Christmas, but it will be just another workday for the Cardinals. The Chicago coaches may cut the morning practice short just a little to prove that they have some semblance of the Christmas spirit. It will only be a momentarily lapse by the Board of Strategy, and the Cards will be back at work tomorrow. A small holiday party was held for the players, despite the circumstances, as noticed noticed once again by the Tribune, which said, In other years, the Cardinals have held Christmas parties that were as a different spirit this time. Never before had such a session been held when the club was preparing for a battle for the National League title. On game day, the Cardinals and Eagles arrived to discover a freshly frozen field, courtesy of a recent drop in temperature. Once again, Councilman was a step ahead of the competition and outfitted his troops in tennis shoes in order to combat the slippery service. Cardinals lineman Vince Benotis remembered the day vividly. The field was hard as cement, said Benonis. Jimmy Councilman had the foresight to make sneakers available and that really helped. 
that gave us a lot of traction. Still, the footing was difficult for both teams, even after the Eagles had changed into tennis shoes as well. The Green Bay Gazette described the scene with the players on the field as, they staggered around like 22 drunk men in a dark alley. Behind the running of backs Elmer Engsman and Charlie Trippi, who each scored a pair of touchdowns, the Cardinals outlasted the Eagles 28-21 to grab the team's first NFL title since 1925. It was a wonderful holiday present for the loyal and frigid fans who had supported the team through some extremely difficult years in the early 40s, including a record 29-game losing streak. Unfortunately, that championship kiff 73 years ago was the last one for the Cardinals, a streak that is now the longest in professional sports for a team not winning a championship. But for one shining moment, the Cardinals and their fans enjoyed the best Christmas present imaginable. Please join us next time on When Football Was Football as we examine five little-known facts that you were afraid to ask about the history of the Cardinals. Enjoy the holidays. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. We at the Sports History Network are so glad to introduce to you a new addition to our lineup. Gridiron Greats Magazine Podcast is a weekly podcast that focuses on the history and memorabilia of North American football since its inception in 1869. It's hosted by Bob Swick, the publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and Joe Squires, a longtime contributor to that magazine. The podcast was launched in 2017 and has over 150 episodes that you can listen to now on a Sports History Network, as well as your favorite podcast provider. So join Bob and Joe as they go through football history, talking about the memorabilia and the great legendary players and games of the American Gridiron on the Gridiron Greats Magazine Podcast.